The truth is that everything that we do to survive in this system that only values certain bodies is okay. But we want there to be an honesty within yourself to say, I'm doing this to put up with these systems, doing this to survive in a system instead of I'm doing this because I'm not good enough or I'm doing this because I'm bad. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soulsmith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Hillary Knievy and Dana Sturdivant. Hillary and Dana are the co-founders of the Center for Body Trust, a community-based outpatient clinic and professional training institute that created Body Trust, a strength-based, trauma-informed, scientifically grounded healing modality that encourages movement towards a compassionate, weight-inclusive model of radical self-care to address body oppression heal body shame, and associated patterns of chronic dieting and disordered eating. They are also the authors of a new book out this week, Reclaiming Body Trust, A Path to Healing and Liberation. It came out two days ago, I think, and you, after this conversation, are really going to want to go get your copy. You know, this is not the first time I've had authors on the podcast who are writing a book that on the surface might sound like this is going to help you work on your relationship with your body. And I also want to be clear, those books are super important. We need books and other tools to help people work on their relationships with their bodies. But what Hillary and Dana do that is different is they help us put our personal struggles with our bodies, with our weight, with our health, whatever it is, into the larger framework and understand how our struggles fit into the systems of oppression we all live under. This is such an important piece of the puzzle that is left out of so many conversations around body positivity and intuitive eating. And I think it's also such an important piece of the puzzle for anyone doing our own work, as well as folks who want to be contributing to larger social change. We cover a lot of concepts in this conversation. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. I hope we can continue the conversation in the comments. So here are Hillary and Dana, but first a quick break. Okay, it is time to read another of your five-star reviews. This one comes from... G Mom Reader. G Mom Reader writes, I very much enjoy both the podcast and the newsletter. I feel like I have spent much of my life avoiding diet and beauty culture, but Virginia has made me look at how both of those things still affect me. Her guests are interesting and her interviewing style is thoughtful and considerate. I have enjoyed some of the episodes that encompass adjacent topics such as bodily autonomy and racism. So there you go, right there. We need to connect it all. It is all about body autonomy. It's all about figuring out how to have a body under these larger systems of oppression. Thank you so much for that kind review. If you would like to support the show, you can also leave us a five-star review on your podcast player and write a little note if you can. It really helps folks discover the podcast. And if you want even more burnt toast and want to support the work we're doing, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It's just $5 per month, $50 for the year, and you get all sorts of perks. Click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Dana. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So let's start by having each of you introduce yourselves and say your names as well, since there's two of you, and it'll help listeners keep track of who's talking. So I'm Hillary. I am the co-founder of the Center for Body Trust, formerly Be Nourished, and I am a therapist and a coach and I spend a lot of time doing training with healthcare professionals around helping them be better around people's relationship with their body and addressing 
weight stigma and things like that in their work. And my business partner is Dana. So I'm Dana Sturdivant and I'm the dietitian. Sometimes I say I'm the dietitian. <laughs> in your spookiest voice, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, we're a therapist dietitian team and I worked in the dominant weight paradigm for early in my career where I didn't believe I was promoting dieting behaviors. I thought I was promoting healthy lifestyles. And then through years of that work and becoming disillusioned and starting to feel unethical, I was really curious about offering people a different approach. And at the time I was a yoga teacher, I no longer teach yoga, but I was really curious about the mindfulness and self-acceptance practices of yoga. And also like coming back into our bodies and how that could change people's relationship with food in their bodies. And I knew nobody would hire me to do what I wanted to do. So I started a private practice and shortly thereafter met Hillary. And the other hat that I wear in my business is I train healthcare providers and in motivational interviewing, which is a counseling style that is collaborative and less pathologizing and more humanizing of people. So important. Today, we are here to talk about the two of you have written a brand new book called Reclaiming Body Trust. I was very lucky to get to read an early copy. It is absolutely remarkable. It's really unlike anything else out there in this space. I think it's really meeting a need for a book that meets people where they are and helps them work through all of these issues and put them into the larger context of systems of oppression. You know, there's like the sort of self-help books and then there's books talking about systems of oppression, but you all are bringing it all together in a really amazing way. So let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to say, you know, we run this really, you know, all-consuming business, but also we should write a book. We had always thought about writing a book, but it didn't rise to the top because We've always been really immersed in running our programs, frankly, and that is very consuming and is a full-time job. And we've had practices and do trainings on the side, so it totally has not fit in. And then we got to a place where we wanted folks to have all these things that we've been saying for years and trainings and in workshops in a format that they can hold really. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting and is really accessible, you know. So we were approached to write a book proposal after we were on the Dear Sugars podcast. And we did that. And here we are just a mere two years later, a pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, a few I'm house sure moves, a very no problem. Relaxing book writing very, experience. Yeah, yeah very kind easeful. Kind of one of those retreat types mm -hmm. of writings. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely through the <laughs> pandemic and Trump presidency. It was a really yeah. good move. And yes. perimenopause, both of <laughs> our shared perimenopause experience. But yeah, you know, we really wanted this to be accessible. I consider myself to be a politicized therapist and coach. I do not separate politics from the change process. Our work is situated in liberatory frameworks. We believe that this movement of weight inclusion is a liberatory process. And so that's what we wanted this book to be about, not so much situated in the bodies of individual people, like how do I heal my relationship with food and body is a valid question, but what is the context in which we are trying to heal? I uh, cannot yes. be left out. And it's so frequently left out in eating disorder settings and disordered eating settings, and it can't be. 
That's, you know, yeah. people aren't getting well and we're missing this big piece of that if we're missing this conversation. Why do you think it's so often left out? Well, I think everything in the food and body space is tied to capitalism and white supremacy. And there is a lot of money to be made, both, of course, in dieting and fitness industries and cosmetic industries off of telling people what is wrong with them and then selling them solutions to that. And in the eating disorder treatment space, we have a really big problem with only having services that are really fit for thin white women. Mm -hmm. And we tend to relegate folks with larger bodies, fat bodies to, you know, we continue to offsource them to diet culture spaces instead Mm -hmm. of really understanding that the overall climate around thinness, around healthism, around all of these things are really creating the problem of disordered eating and eating disorders and dissatisfaction with food and body. Mm -hmm. But there's no money to be made if we dismantle and divest from these systems. This is true. Yes. And so herein lies the problem. I think people don't know how to tie these things together. I think people have suffered greatly in their bodies. And from what I know of talking to some folks who have suffered greatly in their bodies, it's really hard for them to build a bridge between what's happening in the world around bodies and what's happened in their relationship with their own body. So they don't see how their struggle connects to these larger struggles. Yeah, I think we offsource our struggle to critical voices, you know, Mm -hmm. and shame and things within us that tend to uphold the dominant paradigm within us, Mm -hmm. right? Tend to keep us trying to perform and better ourselves. And we struggle to know that letting go not suppressing our weight, like things like that are actually what gets us free instead of trying to do it all right or better. So one thing I loved about the book is that you give these very concise explanations of a few concepts that I also think a lot about and I think really tie to the need to put our personal struggles in this broader, you know, social context. So I thought we could chat about a few of them. And the first is healthism. Dana, do you want to take this? What is healthism and how does it show up for folks? Yeah, healthism is this belief that our health is the be-all and end-all of our existence. And if we're not actively pursuing health through personal lifestyle changes, that we are somehow morally failing. It seems to be pretty individualistic and focused on individual lifestyle behaviors instead of looking at the broader context and social determinants of health and how social determinants of health have far greater impact on people's health and well-being than their individual lifestyle choices. One reason we started to talk about healthism in our work is how weight and health are always conflated. Mm -hmm. And so many of our clients believe they gave up dieting years ago because they knew that it didn't work, but they've been just like trying to watch what they eat in air quotes Mm -hmm. or just be healthy. Yep. And people really get stuck in that place because it upholds this dieting mindset. And to really unhook from it all, we need to keep laying down our thoughts about our health and our weight Mm -hmm. and nutrition and kind of saying not now to nutrition because to get out from underneath all of this conditioning it's really challenging. 
And it just is this, we talk about it in the book, how it's this like bargaining phase of grief where people make their lifestyle changes about their health, not their weight, but they're secretly dieting. So that's what I'm thinking about when I think about healthism. I don't know, Hillary, if you have anything you want to add. I think you covered it really well. It's a social construct. So some of it we can see, but a lot of it we can't see. It's hard to figure out what's ours and what was never ours to begin with. What doesn't belong to us, what doesn't help us, which doesn't need to live under our skin at all. And so in the book, we talk a lot about ways to see that and begin a process of divesting from these cultural constructs and these systems of harm that uphold themselves within us. The question that I hear often from readers, and I'm sure you encounter all the time too, is when folks will say something like, trigger warming for a fat phobic comment, but when folks will say something like, well, I can't move the way I used to, or, you know, my body hurts and I need to lose weight in order to feel better in my body. And you don't want to discount they're experiencing discomfort and pain in their knees. You Mm -hmm. don't want to discount that they're feeling like there has been a perceived loss of health that's impacting how they function or move or feel in their bodies. But how do you take that, okay, that's your experience of what's happening in your body, but separate that from weight and separate that from healthism? I mean, I think anything that we experience as a so-called side effect of weight, which is, you know, there could be a long debate about what those things are. We've all been conditioned to think that's bad and correctable. And instead of really holding it to maybe something more akin to a disability justice framework that would say, you know, all bodies go through stuff. We're not guaranteed able bodies for our lifetime. Hustling to become more abled may actually cause me more harm in the long run or may put me down a path of having such an overemphasis on doing and production that I never achieve a relationship with myself that I want to be in for a lifetime. So I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I want to say that just based on what I've said, it can be so easy to get pulled into like a, okay, to be good, then I need to embrace that idea. And the truth is that everything that we do to survive in the system that only values certain bodies is okay. Mm-hmm. But we want there to be an honesty within yourself to say, I'm doing this to put up with these systems, doing this to survive in a system instead of I'm doing this because I'm not good enough or I'm doing mm-hmm. this because I'm bad. That is a really useful reframing. And it also gets a little bit to the next concept I wanted to talk about, which you in the book, you call out personal responsibility rhetoric. And I think that's very related, right? I think healthcare in general relies on a lot of personal responsibility rhetoric. And one of the things I'm always doing when I'm training in motivational interviewing, which I train in all kinds of fields. So outside of our like echo chamber, like <laughs> I train people who have never heard of health at every size, right? Is to talk about how healthcare really puts the responsibility of health on an individual person instead of seeing it through a systemic lens and the way racism and poverty and oppression and stigma, trauma impact our health and our well-being. And, you know, I think healthcare providers and institutions at the leadership level, I think there's a lot of 
pressure on frontline providers to get people to make these lifestyle changes. So, you know, they're not costing us so much money. Let's face Mm -hmm. it. It's not about people's health and well-being. It's about costs. And so I think healthcare providers tend to rely on personal responsibility rhetoric. Like if you get sick, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of healthism is if you get sick, it's your fault. There's something you could have done to prevent it. And there's some magical eating plan that's going to make it all go away and be better. There's a fitness plan that will make it all go away and be better. That's what I think of when I think of like relying on that personal responsibility rhetoric. It's interesting, too, because it's making it our problem while telling us to define our health according to all these external rules. Like, it's such a fascinating disconnect that you're the one getting it wrong, but it's because you're not doing it how we told you you have to do it. It's pretty insidious. You know, you can put all these healthcare providers in a room and ask them to define health and nobody's going to be able to come up with a definition that everybody agrees on. So, you know, when we're talking to our clients and they're telling us that health is important, it's a value of theirs that, you know, we say, you know, nobody is required to pursue health to be deemed worthy of love, respect, or belonging. And, you know, when people are really hooked into that place of like wanting to be healthy and, you know, is to talk to people about what does that mean to you when you say Mm -hmm. the word health? How do you define it? Like, how would you know if you were healthy and having them unpack the ways we've been, you know, socialized to think about health so that they have a stronger analysis around all the factors that impact our health and our well-being. I remember the last time we spoke, it was an interview for a health magazine piece about uh, cultural competency in healthcare. And Hillary, you made the point, I think we were talking about this idea that health is actually a very personal concept to define on your own terms. And I think you said something like daily heroin use could be health for somebody. And I couldn't use that quote in the health magazine piece. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) But I think about it really often Mm -hmm. when I think about, you know, trying to unpack healthism, because it just really was a great example of this is such a personal thing. Somebody's goals and priorities and access to resources and all of that is going to vary so much. So why are we trying to ascribe this giant overarching definition to everybody? Yeah, we can't. You know, there's lived experience and like you said, access and what kind of support and help is available, what kind of community care is available, like all of these factor into what is the best decision for me to keep going, to maintain my life, to stay here, to be here um, and to stay connected to my people in my life, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that make me me. And then the last concept I just wanted to quickly touch on, which may be newer to my audience, is this idea of bootstrapping, which I think certainly dovetails into the whole personal responsibility thing. But it's also such a uniquely American value, I think. It is in the United States, the American dream. Like if you do it all right, you can have the American dream. And if you just work your ass off endlessly forever, you will arrive. And in the context of immigration survival, it's about access to resources and things like that. In the context of diet culture, we keep just trying to be better and better and better (laughs) and making ourselves into this two-dimensional version of health or well-being. And what has irked me throughout my career as a therapist in this space is like, okay, what gets left behind if all we're doing is trying to become 
an image of something that may or may not even exist that may be a caricature anyway. So bootstrapping to me is like all that we put aside within ourselves in order to make something possible. And that is something that's very American and very survivalist, of course. But we often leave out that that has an impact on our emotional and psychological well-being and that we don't necessarily get to know ourselves well if we're always trying to become something else. Definitely. Yeah, and it just reminds me of, again, this narrow definition of what health is and the idea that you should sacrifice so much to achieve it. You know, when folks are told weight loss is necessary for X health outcome, setting aside the fact that you probably won't achieve that weight loss, like there's never any discussion of the side effects of the pursuit of that weight loss and the toll that that takes. Yes. Yes. So many books around body positivity and intuitive eating in this space are written fairly directly to, as you said, with eating disorder treatment, white, cisgender, thin women. I mean, that's definitely a valid criticism of my own work, something I'm definitely working on. But I was just struck over and over again in reading your work, how inclusive it is, and especially how much time you spent in really thoughtful explorations of trans-bodied experiences. So I would just love to hear a little more about, you know, first, why that was so important to you to do, and also how you, you know, you were two white women, like how you went about prioritizing and achieving this inclusivity in the work. We have been working on our own liberatory consciousness for many, many, many years now. One of the frameworks we use is Barbara Love's liberatory consciousness, which is something we learned from Desiree Attaway and Eric Hines, who have both consistently put upon us that we must situate our work in liberatory frameworks. When we're doing our anti-oppression work and our anti-racism work, we're developing this liberatory consciousness. I was thinking about how, even when Hillary was talking about eating disorder treatment earlier, I was like, all are welcome here is very different than this was made with you in mind. So a lot of treatment centers are out there. All are welcome here. You're all welcome here. We don't have you know, gender neutral bathrooms, but you're welcome here. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a body acceptance group where we're primarily talking about cisgender people, but all are welcome here. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think we should be talking about body acceptance with trans and non-binary people initially. That's not what we talk about. That could, you know, eventually could be helpful. That's not where we start. We're talking about gender affirmation, not body acceptance with people who are trans and non-binary. So You know, that's one of the biggest things was as a more diverse group of people were showing up to our workshops and retreats, as well as as we were developing our own liberatory consciousness, we really started to revise all of our programs and workshops so that people really felt like they weren't just welcome here, but we were really speaking to them directly. And, you know, it's through our own learning and unlearning and devoting time to reading books only written by people of marginalized identities and going to trainings and learning about neurodiversity and all of these things that helped us try to create a book that speaks to a broader audience than Mm -hmm. simply white women. For a long time in women's media, there was this push to be more inclusive. But what that would mean is the editor would say, like, when you find five women to interview for this piece, make sure two are women of color and one is gay. This just like boxes we're checking to make sure we're hitting the diversity buttons. And it's such a different thing. I mean, that's not inclusivity. It's just not. 
Well, and with the number of books out there around eating and disordered eating and body positivity, it's remarkable that they don't speak to the trans experience because trans folks we know have the highest rate of eating disorder. And while we, I don't think as two white women should ever be the ones primarily addressing that or developing programs that support that, I could not think of putting out a book without having a way of speaking more directly to that trans experience. So we did have a non-binary psychologist, Sam Chang, who's a body trust provider, write the letter to trans folks in the book. And that felt like one way we could say, we see you and we see your experience and we don't want it to be erased. It's a beautiful part of the book and so important. We really wanted to feature people's stories too and make sure that we weren't speaking for people. So we asked people to submit body stories. We did a questionnaire of people who've been in our programs and we pulled a lot of quotes and things so people could hear directly from folks who've done this work, mm-hmm. who hold a variety of identities and positionality and things. We don't want our book to be the, like, here's your 10 steps to freedom, follow right. our path. We're trying to shine a light on all the things that are in the way of people having fuller access to their own experience and the healing process that's inherent within them. And that is really more of what the book is trying to do of it not so much trying to prescribe a path for all people. Well, I guess to wrap up, I'd love to just give some thoughts for folks who are just beginning this work or even just thinking about beginning, you know, thoughts on common misconceptions. I mean, I'm sure a big one is people come in assuming this is what's going to finally make them lose weight. But anything else like that that you think is important for people to know, be thinking about at the beginning of this work? I would say this isn't going to feel like anything you've done before. And so good news and bad news, right? Like you're not going to get that initial new plan high from this book, but you are going to be introduced to parts of yourself that have been orphaned off or lost to this extreme hustle around our bodies. So This is a slightly longer game, and I don't think you'll be disappointed by it. We want everyone who approaches our work to know that straight off the bat that we don't believe the ways you've suffered around your body have been your fault, and we want to show you why we know that. I think a common misconception of this work is that it's the fuck it plan. Mm, Interesting. Especially when people are new to this and they start talking to their relatives about it or the people in their life about it. And this is like developing a language. And when we're new to it, like we're hardly understanding it ourselves. And then we're trying to tell people if people are asking us or wanting to tell people, sometimes we don't have the language for it. And then, you know, people often misinterpret this, you know, if you're not focusing on your weight. Mm-hmm. And your health, people interpret it as the fuck it plan. And so this is just a really radically different way of showing up for yourself in the world and for other bodies in the world and challenging our conditioning. But there's a big difference between letting go and giving up. And we would not describe this as the fuck it plan. Or the giving up plan. Yeah. You're actually fighting for something way more profound. And we need people to do this work. 
there's a phenomenon we see in this work where people want it for everybody else, but believe there's a different set of rules for people like me mm, in air quotes. Yes. And that can be a common misconception is that, oh, this is good, but I have diabetes or this is good for them, but I have mm -hmm. joint pain and this is for everybody. There is not a different set of rules for people like you. So important. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so excited for this book to be reaching folks because everybody can be doing this work. So we wrap up every podcast with my recommendation segment, which I call Butter for Your Burnt Toast. I would love each of you to give us a little butter, whatever you feel like. I'm obsessed with this show on Apple TV called Home, and I want to talk to anyone else who is watching it. It's like a docu-series kind of thing on like people who have made homes that fit their lives or dress in a problem in some way. And it's just like, it's leading me into an investigation around ideas of like home and how we make ourselves at home, how we include others in it. I don't even have words for why I'm obsessed with it, but I'm totally obsessed and I want everyone to watch it. There's two seasons. Sounds fascinating. And I'm obsessed with my white golden retriever, Arrow. Aww. I've seen pictures of Arrow. Very, yeah, very yeah. cute. He's a dream. He's a dream boy for sure. Yeah. That's a good one. Dana, what about you? Well, I just got my hot tub back up and running yesterday. Oh. I filled it up yesterday and it was 100 degrees here and I got in the water and that was like, Ooh. I filled it up and then didn't turn it on and just got in the water. And, oh, got in the cold water. Yeah. And hung yeah. out for the yeah. afternoon and it was amazing. So I'm a water girl. So I go to the Japanese garden here in Portland and there's lots of water features in there. So you can't walk through there without hearing the water trickle. Mm, I love that. So I love spending a morning, a week up in there. I come out a different person as compared to when I walk in. I'm like, my nervous system is so calm when I walk out of there. And then I'm loving these local English muffins. Ooh. from Sparrow Bakery. I just had them this morning too for breakfast and they are so damn good. I am also a big hot tub proponent and water proponent. And in fact, we have a debate in our house about the appropriate water temperature based on the weather because I kind of always want it to be a hot tub. <laughs> like I just love being in hot water like so much. But other people I live with feel that because it's 100 degrees, it should be cool and refreshing. It's a current debate we're having. Sounds anyway. like you need two hot tubs. Right? <laughs> that feels like such a great solution. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> my recommendation this week is also heat-related. It's my heating pad that I am living on right now because oh. I am in a lower back spasm situation. Oh. It's like an ongoing journey of my life at the moment. And I just want to give a shout out to heating hats and heated car seats that are really making yes. my life a lot more functional. Yeah. Heating pads are kind of a forgotten item, but they're so essential. And they're yeah. not expensive. This is like a $20 no. one from Target. I just yeah. like carry it around the house with me as needed. Plug it in. <laughs> Depending on the day. Yeah. One of my daughters is actually always trying to steal it. And I'm like, you don't need this. You're a child. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> but maybe, you know, for a birthday or something, I'll get her her own heating pad. So yeah. Anyway, I realize it is summer. It is 100 degrees. Nobody actually wants to be as hot as I do. 
So that's my recommendation if you have any kind of pain or just like cozy things. Yes. Well, let's wrap up by having you each tell listeners, you know, how do we find you? How do we support your work? I want everyone to go by Reclaiming Body Trust. What do we need to know? We have recently rebranded. We've changed our business name from Be Nourished to Center for Body Trust. So you can find us at centerforbodytrust.com. Most of our Instagram handles or our social media handles have changed to Center for Body Trust with the exception of Instagram because, you know, <laughs> Instagram, Instagram, if you're listening, <laughs> we're like so help us out, please. But yeah. if you search Center for Body Trust on any social media platform, you will find us. We are not on TikTok, but we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram's kind of our primary engagement. Mm-hmm. If you go to our website, you can learn more about the book and You can sign up for a newsletter where you'll get updates from us. We have a Body Trust Tuesday newsletter that we send out every Tuesday with a little Body Trust message. And yeah, that's where you can find it. The book is out August 30th. I don't know when this is releasing. September 1st. So people should go buy it immediately. The book came out yesterday. The book is out. The book is out. (laughs) Happy book birthday. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I really, it was such a pleasure. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the newsletter. Just $5 per month or $50 for the year. You get lots of great perks. You keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at virginiasolesmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at V underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.